Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. In the last few election cycles, things have not turned out the way people expected. The results have been shocking to many people, especially the candidates. It is always the case that only one candidate will win and the others who expected to win will lose. It is normal. But when you think about all the people who have expertise, who crunched the numbers and made their predictions that certain candidates will win by landslides with near certainty, and it did not turn out that way, it makes you question what they based their predictions on. After the fact, of course, they can come up with all kinds of reasons why their predictions did not pan out. Maybe respondents to the surveys did not want to tell them their true feelings or tell them who they were really going to vote for. Maybe there were problems with their sampling. Or perhaps something else happened that they could not capture in their polling. Whatever their explanations, lots of people were disappointed and no longer have confidence in their expert predictions. Some of the experts will fade into the bones. Maybe next time they'll get it right. Meanwhile, there's a lot of disappointment. Disappointments, unfulfilled expectations. You don't have to have lived long at all in this world to know that they exist and that they happen to you. You don't look for them, but they happen. And when that happens, it leaves you wondering, did I do something wrong? What did I miss? After all the hard work I put in, it came to this, not the result I was expecting. It may be school, it may be work, it may be family, it may even be church, yes, even church. Disappointments and unfulfilled expectations they can threaten to harm your relationship with God because of how you may react to them. John the Baptist experienced it too. What with Jesus coming and not doing what he was expecting? If you were John the Baptist preaching as powerful, powerfully as he did to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah and the mighty work he would do, you would be disappointed too. The one about whom Isaiah the prophet had written over 700 years before had done his work. Matthew leaves us with no doubt. He writes, this is the one who was spoken of through the prophet Isaiah, a voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. John may not have made a whole lot of money. Actually, he made no money at all, but he didn't care. The moment he had been preaching about had arrived. He was successful. But can you imagine in our world today that someone would devote his whole life trying to help people and not make any money whatsoever, not even to feed himself or to buy clothes, and you would think he was a successful man? But that was not an issue for John at all. When you consider that a huge number of people who could get to the wilderness were making their way to him, there is only one conclusion. He had a wildly successful ministry going on. 
poor people, rich people, influential people, religious leaders, those who are looking forward to God doing something amazing and impressive in a short time were flocking to him. They didn't even care how he looked. They were moved by his message, even though sometimes it sounded harsh. It didn't matter to them that they had to walk to the wilderness to hear him preach and receive his baptism. It was important to them what he was doing. He was preaching a message of repentance. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. And the people were not even getting offended by it. He was baptizing people who were cut to the heart and were confessing their sins. God had given him the gift to know those who were not really sincere about their repentance. He called them out without fear or favor. During this time, Jesus also showed up to be baptized. The one for whom John had been pre preparing the people fervently and urging them to repent and be baptized showed up to be baptized too. This person about whom he had been telling the people that he was the, the more powerful one, the one whose sandals he was not even worthy to carry, who would baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire, shows up. And he shows up to be baptized. It was so shocking to him. It was below his expectation. He was disappointed. The one whom he had said was ready to clear his threshing floor with his winnowing fork, gather the wheat into his barn, and burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire approaches. His identity had been revealed to John. It was now time. What he had boldly proclaimed would be fulfilled now. He would introduce him to the crowds and then fade immediately from the scene. And then it would happen. Holy Spirit and fire. Little did he know that it was not yet time. God had not revealed to him that he would need to baptize Jesus. And now that Jesus tells him, he's shocked. He couldn't even have imagined what he was hearing. It was privilege enough to be able to recognize the Son of God and to point him out to the people. But to baptize him, no, that was not part of the deal. So he said the only thing he could think of at that moment, I need to be baptized by you and you come to me. John's baptism was for sinners. It was there to preach, to hear confession of sins and provide forgiveness of sins through his baptism. But now Jesus shows up to be baptized. Was he trying to get him into some sort of trouble with God? Was Jesus trying to cause a lightning bolt from heaven to strike him? Did Jesus need to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins? If so, what sins did he need to confess? No, Jesus did not need to be baptized for the forgiveness of his sins, as John required of those who had been coming to him for baptism. Jesus had no sins to confess. He was not a sinner. Jesus submitted himself for baptism because he came to be the sin bearer. He identified with sinners. He stood with sinners. He stood in the place of sinners. He stood with John. He stands with you. Paul put it this way. For our sake, God made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. 
not only for the people who were going to John for his baptism, but for the people before. Not only for them, but also for you. Not only for the people in the world today, but also for those who would be born in the future. That is the gift of Jesus that does not fade or perish. Matthew does not record what Jesus said to John before his question, I need to be baptized by you and do you come to me? But it is reasonable to assume that Jesus has said to him, I have come to be baptized by you. Like us, John needed reassurance that what he had been doing was right. There was no need to be disappointed. God had come into his presence in complete humility. God had not failed. John had not misread the scriptures, but he had not fully understood it. We too can look at our lives and think about all the promises God has made that applies to us, and we don't see them fulfilled for us. Call upon me in the day of trouble, I will deliver you and you will honor me. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. Therefore, I tell you, whatever you ask for in prayer, believe that you have received it, and it will be yours. We may be a little disappointed, thinking our expectations are not being met by God. But ultimately, our most important need is a forgiveness of sins. We cannot be disappointed by that. John acknowledged his sinfulness. I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus reassured John that it was proper for him to proceed with the baptism in order to fulfill all righteousness. Jesus and John together to fulfill all righteousness. What an honor! But what righteousness was Jesus talking about? And how could John be a part of bring about, bringing that about? The righteousness is the saving work that Jesus had come to do. John's part that God graciously permitted him to do was to baptize Jesus publicly. But the actual work of saving was Jesus' alone. No one could die to save from the judgment that Jesus would ultimately bring at God's appointed time. Jesus alone could and would do it. Jesus' baptism is an allowance he made because he had come as a human being, and in that state, he did not want to use his full powers as God always and everywhere. After his crucifixion, death, and resurrection, he now uses his full powers and we will see it visibly at his return. John's disappointment and unfulfilled expectation at the time Jesus appeared turned into a sure and certain hope that Jesus was the one, and he went ahead and baptized him. As soon as Jesus came up out of the water, heaven opened up, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him, and a voice from heaven said, this is my son whom I love, with him I am well pleased. The whole of the Holy Trinity, as Carly said, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit was present on this occasion. The Father through his voice, the Spirit as a dove, and the Son as a man, Jesus. It shows the significance of the event of Jesus' baptism. 
Now, whatever your unfulfilled expectations and disappointments in life are, know that Jesus stands in the waters with you. Life's challenges may never go away for you. They may be different for all of us. They may be different. But the one on whom the Spirit descended, about whom the Father said he is well pleased, pleased is for you. He has taken your most important need into himself. There can be no disappointments or unfulfilled expectations about that. Now, Jesus' baptism is unique to himself. But he has given you another kind of baptism. This one, this one he gave for you. In it, he has allowed you to die with him. He has taken the things that sometimes may cause you to wonder about his love for you and put them to death. In this baptism, he helps you to put to death the disappointments and unfulfilled expectations in this life, even if you have to do it again and again. And as you come up out of the baptismal waters again and again, it helps lessen the severity of the effects of the disappointments and unfulfilled expectations. It happens because Jesus, even today, stands with you. He has made the promise and sealed it with his blood, so he will always keep the promise. And he has allowed you to rise with him. It is a one-time event for you, but its effect is everlasting. So whenever things get you down, you can remember your baptism, even if it might only have been told to you as a child. He has attached your name to it, as we saw again this morning. In it, he says to you, you are mine forever. Whether it is done as we do it here at this baptismal font, or as is done in other churches by immersion, he gives the same gift. He makes you his child. Now, even though we don't see the Holy Spirit lighting on, on Hudson, or you when you were baptized, the same Holy Trinity is present, thanks to the work of Jesus, who stood in our place and took upon himself all the punishment we deserve for being sinners. When things get you down, and life's challenges seem impossible to navigate, remember that you have the one who was baptized to stand in your place with you, always. To him alone be the glory, both now and forever. Amen. <laughs>